God is making it clear that we, we in uniting here, are doing things that have eternal consequence. And so we, we work past our differences to grab people, to pull them in, to, to, to keep bound together, knowing that what we can bind together here is, is going to reflect, ultimately, a heavenly reality. So glad you joined us for today's Unlimited Grace, the audio broadcast ministry of pastor and author Brian Chappell. In today's episode, Pastor Brian shares a lesson from Matthew 18. Dr. Chappell highlights the process that God has given us in His Word for dealing with conflict in a way that leads to reconciliation. You can find this lesson and many others when you visit unlimitedgrace.com. And while you're there, look for this wonderful resource from Dr. Chappell, Holiness by Grace. In this book, Pastor Brian will guide you through reassuring scripture passages to discover how works and obedience are not a means of establishing or maintaining salvation, but a grateful response to God's mercy. Let's hear now from Dr. Brian Chappell as he shares the lesson, Biblical Conflict. My family's moving experiences have been framed by tornadoes. When we first moved to St. Louis, the evening that we arrived, there had been a series of tornadoes that had come across the St. Louis area so much that there were so many people seeking a place to stay that night that the hotel had given away our rooms and we had no place to stay that night. When I took my first church after seminary. That church was one that the people vividly remembered, the cyclone of 1948, before Kathy and I were even born. But a lot of the furniture that is in our house right now is from her family's home that got caught in that cyclone. And the furniture, broken and blown into the woods, was collected in pieces and reassembled. And we have some of the chairs still from that experience. When I came here, shortly before we had actually moved, I was doing some ministry out in Washington State. And one night as I was getting ready for bed, I watched as a storm was bringing a tornado to the neighborhood where my children live in St. Louis. And so from Washington State, I called my children on my phone and said, get to the basement. And they said, Dad, we're already there. And shortly after I arrived here, the Washington tornado taught us all that unexpected things can happen on a Sunday morning. Not just the tornadoes of physical conditions, but tornadoes of the spirit can also affect us. And we need to know that. And the reason is because when tornadoes come, as much as my experience has been shaped by them, I recognize that when it's the middle of the night and the sirens go off, my great temptation is just to turn over and go back to sleep. But knowing the damage that can come, I know something better is to be done. I recognize that when the tornadoes of the Spirit come to the church of God, we sometimes can say, I just... Don't want to have to deal with that. And our temptation when conflict comes to the people of God is just to look the other way and not be concerned. 
But reality teaches us that conflict among God's people and in God's church can do great damage to us and to our witness. And for that reason, Jesus gives us solid instruction that we hope we will never need, but reality says we will. Because most churches like this one happen to be full of sinners like me and like you. And sometimes we need some instruction. How do we handle things when things get tense between us? Because the reality is most church wars happen when good people just don't know what to do. Jesus doesn't leave us there. He tells us what happens when there is tension between us. How do you have a process that handles biblical conflict? Jesus tells us, making us mindful from the beginning that our goal in this process is not retaliation, getting back at someone, not vindication, getting our due, but reconciliation, showing Christ in healed relationships. How does that process begin? Well, step one, one one-on-one. Verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. First step, (laughs) I don't circulate, I don't inflate, I don't inflame. What's the first step? One-on-one Go talk to that person. Do you understand what happened? Do you have a clear picture? Do they have a clear picture? Can you settle it at the lowest level possible? Can you just go talk to that person? Recognizing that person, according to the Scripture, is a brother means the goal is to establish a renewed relationship. And because it's a family relationship, it may take a little time, a little patience, a little work, as families often do. This isn't mechanical. It isn't something automatic. It's something to be done with care of heart about. But what if it doesn't work? Step two, go in twos. Verse 16, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. We don't often like this. If I have to take somebody else with me, it gets messier. It gets bigger. I would rather just talk to my Sunday school class or my friends or my neighbors or my family or the choir. No, one or two others, because it's the ancient Jewish standard of fairness that everything would be established with at least one or two other credible witnesses. And we're sometimes challenged by that, not just by having to grab witnesses, but by recognizing they not just question the person we think has got a fault, they may question our perspective too. My wife's family is a a great uh, advocate of jigsaw puzzles. All her family has done that. They love it. If you go to our house right now, you will see in our family room a table with jigsaw puzzle pieces on it. She is great at jigsaw puzzles. And I will tell you, even this week, when there was one of those puzzles where all pieces are the same color, and look almost the same. I mean, she's that good. But even Kathy will get stumped sometimes, and I watch her go around to the other side of the table and look at it from a different direction to get another perspective, knowing that may be where the answer is. And sometimes the reason we don't want other people in the conversation is we don't want to be confused with the facts. 
or other perspectives that may challenge our own perspective. But that is what Jesus says. Listen, go one, lowest level. And, and next, not to other people, don't spread out. Take some people to confirm what you're thinking, what you're saying, what you feel happened. Go in twos. What if that doesn't work? Step three, verse 17. If he, the one at fault, refuses to listen to them, the witnesses in you, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So final step, when it doesn't help to keep things at a low level, you take it to the church. Now, again, this is, this is not meaning just talk to all your friends in the church. Just talk to the people who agree with you. Just go tell your Sunday school. No. Speak to those who represent the authority of the church. One of the vows that Paul just took called for us to respond to say, will we not only honor but be willing to be in submission to the elders of the church? You may not know it, but there's an actual oversight committee of the eldership of this church. So sometimes when people get at odds with one another or with the church, we have somebody to listen and talk and advise and work through things with. And and even, I will tell you, as of this very day, the elders were active trying to help people deal with issues sometimes between each other. And, And it's a good and it's a caring thing to do because the goal is to help people find the unity that is expressing the reconciliation that God has brought to us from Jesus to the Father and that being expressed in the way that we deal with one another. And sometimes we ask for the elders of the church to help us. Now it can get really messy, not any mention, not any reason not to mention that to you. I mean, while we can talk about people being angry with each other and finding fault with each other, some of the ills that we have had to deal with, every church at times in the society has to deal with, are things that are serious, moral, or legal wrongdoing that Christians either have done to one another or suspect has been done to them. And sometimes we have to deal with matters that are, are quite difficult. And you might say, well, isn't, aren't those matters matters for the courts, the secular courts? And the answer is, Surely, that that may be needed. But you may remember in 1 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul challenges Christians. Why would you go to the court that scorns the church when there is opportunity to deal with matters in the church? And so more and more in our day and age, responsible Christians seek sometimes Christian arbitration. Those who are skilled at helping us work through things. Work with the church just to say, can the elders or the pastors help me in a serious conversation with someone that I feel has been responsible for something difficult? And on occasion, we may find matters that really do require the church to take a stand and say something someone has done is wrong and actually bring charges against them that if they don't acknowledge what they have done is so wrong, cheating another family, abusing a child, immoral sin of some sort, we may actually say, you must recognize you're in great spiritual danger and and advise you not to take the sacraments to say, listen, you you need to recognize that, that your fellowship in the church is not just something that's in jeopardy here, but your fellowship in heaven, if that's the way you're going to continue to act, what what assignment, assurance can we give you that you're a child of God if you're going to keep doing that? Now, let me tell you something. No one likes talking about this until it is your reputation that has been smeared or your child that has been abused or your family that has been cheated or your marriage that has been shattered or your church has been scandalized 
by the immorality of leaders who say they represent you and represent the church and are yet doing awful things that everybody in the community knows about. Then we recognize and we call out, isn't somebody going to do something? Isn't there something to do? And Jesus is saying to protect his church, he has given us a process. You're listening to Unlimited Grace, the audio broadcast ministry of pastor and author Brian Chapel. God instructs us in his word to be holy as he is holy. How can God expect us to be as holy as he is? Such a standard seems either to ignore our frailty or to impose certain failure. That is, until we understand how God views us. In this challenging yet heartwarming book, Holiness by Grace, Dr. Brian Chapel illustrates the principles of grace, the practices of faith, and the motives of love in living a life of holiness. Pastor Brian will guide you through reassuring scripture passages to discover how works and obedience are not a means of establishing or maintaining salvation, but a grateful response to God's mercy. Holiness by grace draws straight from the heart of God, as Pastor Brian's encouraging words will help you understand that your holiness is not so much a matter of what you achieve as it is the grace that God provides, a grace so rich as to make the pursuit of His holiness your soul's deepest delight. You can request your copy of Holiness by Grace when you go online to unlimitedgrace.com or by calling 844-41-GRACE. That's 844-414-7223. And now, more from Brian Chapel on today's Unlimited Grace. Isn't somebody going to do something? Isn't there something to do? And Jesus is saying to protect his church, he has given us a process. Just a couple of observations. We can't say it would never happen here. We know it has and does. And God has protected his church by giving us a process to follow. And most often when the church goes to war irreparably, it's just because we don't know what to do or don't remember what the Bible says. And the Bible has given us instruction not to hurt anybody, but to help us all. Now, it won't help us at all as we begin to think about this process of biblical reconciliation in the middle of biblical conflict if we don't remember the purposes that we are pursuing. We're beginning to be mechanical or automatic or even aggressive about the steps that God is putting before us. We have to remember, what are the purposes we're doing this? I mean, why would we bother to do this? Certainly one reason is rescue that we're willing to do things uncomfortable for us for the sake of rescuing people. Almost always, I find that when people well know Matthew 18, the steps of handling biblical conflict, they hardly ever cite the context. I want you to remember that at the end of verse 15, we were invited to enter this process in order to gain a brother. Why is that the description? Because of the verses that just preceded. Do you remember the verses that just precede in this Matthew 18 from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount? It's a parable. The parable of the lost sheep. 
Jesus is saying, if a shepherd has a hundred sheep and 99 are safe in the fold, what does he do? He goes after the one lost sheep. Verse 12, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? Verse 14, so it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Therefore, if you have a brother who has sinned against you, go and reclaim him. Why? Because then you have gained your brother. It's such a different perspective. We think that these standards of biblical reconciliation are primarily to protect and vindicate us. But the primary object is the salvation of the one who's done wrong or the saving or the rescue of the one who's done. I'm concerned for that one. The fault against me is the evidence of the spiritual jeopardy against that one. And so I take steps not primarily to get my due, but actually for the sake of the rescue of that one. If rescue is not the only motivation, what are other motivations that are supposed to be driving us in this process? Clearly, reconciliation. Verses 15 through 18 keep saying, if this works, then then stop. But if, if it needs to keep going, keep going. Why? Until you reclaim the unity that God intends, gain the relationship that God intends. Now, not everybody wants to hear that, even Peter. After hearing these steps of reconciliation, what's Peter's first question? Well, how many times do I got to forgive him? Seven times? You know, that's the Jewish standard of three times doubled plus one. (laughs) As though Peter is saying, if I'm really, really good, do I have to keep forgiving him? Jesus said, not seven times, but what? Seventy-seven times. Some of your translations say 70 times seven times. Why? Because the goal is not getting our due. The goal is our reconciliation with those that need to know what it means for God to have reconciled people who need forgiveness 70 times seven, even knowing it through us. That means that the goal is not simply rescue and reconciliation. Ultimately, the goal of our biblical process is mission that I am concerned that others know, that individual and others witnessing the unity or disunity of the church would know the gospel from the way that we respond. Now, that means, among other things, if I'm trying to make the gospel known by the witness of the church, that when the church has separated from the standards of God, that there is damage to the testimony of the church's mission. Now, this, this is not news to any of us, right? We would recognize that the Apostle Paul in his own time would talk about the church of Corinth and would actually write to them and say, it is actually evident that among you there is sin so great as even the pagans do not approve. A man is living with his father's wife. It's an incestuous relationship and you approve of it. You just go to sleep and turn over and act like nothing's happening. And Paul the Apostle is saying, That damages the church. Now, we don't just have to look at biblical times, right? Look at our own times. How often do we see where church leaders damage the ministry of the church by their testimony? We can do the famous ones. You know, the the Jimmy Swaggart or the Jim Baker or the pedophilia epidemic among Roman Catholic priests or to play fair Now how the Me Too movement is speaking of more and more Protestant pastors 
who are getting caught in that net of improper behavior as well. And you know what happens to the testimony of the church when even its leaders aren't corrected in any way, that that nobody tries to do anything. Nobody says, this is damaging to our testimony. I mean, I could say it from my experience, and I'm guessing many of you could say the same things. If I just kind of think about my own friends, leaders in the church, and talk about immorality and embezzlement and addictions and just authoritarian behavior that has damaged churches. I mean, I could, I could put a name with every one of those sins I just talked about. And if the church has no way of addressing such things, you recognize the church itself is damaged. And it, it's damaged in its witness, but it's not just because they're being separated from the standards of God. Jesus here is making it clear that the separation that we have from one another can have eternal consequences. That's why we work so hard at unity. Verse 18 is really hard for us in today's culture. Where Jesus says, truly I say to you. Why do you go through this process of reconciliation? Because truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, I don't think this is a statement of the infallible authority of the church. You know, that whatever we decide is right and wrong is just infallibly decided on earth for whatever God does in heaven. I don't think it says that. I think it's just a common sense picture that the gathered saints are a picture of the glorified saints. And the way that we gather across differences, healing relationships, keeping people close even when it seems undeserved is a picture. What we enable one another to do, to live together in harmony and peace and witness here is securing people for heaven itself. And God is making it clear that we, we in uniting here are doing things that have eternal consequence. And so we we work past our differences to grab people, to pull them in, to, to, to keep bound together, knowing that what we can bind together here is, is going to reflect ultimately a heavenly reality. I, I'm not saying it's a good example, but, but what comes to mind for me is the example of, of those sailors at the end of World War II who were on the torpedoed USS Indianapolis. Remember the story? The ship goes down. Hundreds are thrown into the sea, and then the sharks come. And their only safety was to bind one another closely together. Because if anyone would drift off, if anyone got on their own, the sharks would get them. And so what they would do in the water is they would bind one another together as tightly and closely as they could, knowing that what they could bind together in the water would ultimately be those who were saved for the land. And I recognize, and you do, that those who are holding each other so closely, binding each other together for their, for their mutual good, were probably some people who had argued with each other in the galley the day before. They, they were probably some people where an officer had been unkind to an enlisted man. There, there may have been people who had fistfights. There may have been people, but, but when they recognized how great was the danger, they held each other as close. They bound each other together. And we who recognize those Sharks are the spiritual forces of Satan and this world who are after God's people and our children and generations to come. Then we bind each other together knowing that what we bind together on earth has eternal consequences.
That's Pastor Brian Chapel, and you've been listening to Unlimited Grace. If you'd like to hear more from Dr. Chapel, you can find a collection of valuable resources at unlimitedgrace.com. When you visit, you will find today's message and many others from Pastor Brian. Also, be sure to request a copy of Dr. Chapel's book, Holiness by Grace. We'll send you this book right away as our way of saying thank you for your most generous financial support. Once again, go to unlimitedgrace.com or you can give by calling 844-41-GRACE. That's 844-414-7223. Please be sure to join us next time as once again we endeavor to put Christ at the center of our efforts so that lives might be transformed by His unlimited grace. This ministry is brought to you by Unlimited Grace Media and continues to be made possible with your generous financial support.